Okay, that's the first thing we're going to start with. Yep. That that and my my latest Mickey Rooney bitching about something. Okay, Mickey Rooney, Mickey Rourke. Wait, not <laughs> Mickey Rourke. Who's that old guy who used to bitch about things? The one on uh, 60 Minutes? Who's Mickey That's Rourke? Isn't that Andy Rooney? Andy Rooney? Sorry, yeah. Who's Mickey Rooney? He was an actor in, with uh, Click, uh, the Dorothy. No, the one who played Dorothy. What's Judy her name? Garland. Judy Garland? Judy Garland, yeah. Judy Garland, Mickey Rooney when they were kids, kid actors. So who's Mickey Rourke? Rourke is that sexy guy who did Nine and a Half Weeks. Um, yeah, and Iron Man 2 and The Wrestler. So who's Andy Rourke? I don't, I don't know. know. I've never heard that name before. I made it up. I made it up. All right, let's go. <laughs> that doesn't exist, you fool. Oh, my God. Please start the show. I'm begging you. I'm bored. Uh, Hi, welcome to Our Rages, our bi-weekly podcast where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris, I'm in New York City, and I'm joined by my very best friend, Trisha in LA. Hi! And Jason in DC. Hello. Hi, everybody. What's up? Are you ready for this season finale? Woohoo! Season finale, everybody. 20 episodes this season. We are taking a two-month break, and we'll be back September. Uh, what do you all plan for your fabulous summer? I am taking a third trip to Alaska to see my sister and her family. Are you taking your kids? Yes. And, and my parents, the five of us. This will be our third annual. Alaska. Are you flying Alaska Airlines? No. It seems like a missed opportunity. <laughs> hey, I, just, I just booked the cheapest flights I can find. Right. It was not Alaska. Trisha flies Alaska all the time. It's my airline. <laughs> Well, it might, it might work if you're already on the West Coast, but it's not the cheapest way to get from the East Coast to the West Coast. I love seeing my sister and her family, but Alaska is not my favorite place. What's exciting to do there? Naturey stuff, I assume. Right. Well, maybe that's the problem because I don't fish. It's probably. It's, I think it's very exciting to fish oh, there. There are other things to do there. I mean, it's it. You know, it's beautiful. Like the scenery is beautiful. But yeah, I think if you're a true outdoors person, it's great. I'm not so. Are there black people there? Are your kids going to be the darkest people for miles and miles and miles around? Yes, my kids will be. Well, except for Native Alaskans. Anchorage has some diversity, but my sister and family live about three hours from Anchorage, and there's not much diversity. There there are some few Asians, few Native, well, not few. I'm sure there are more Native Alaskans, but, but yeah, there are very few black people. I didn't see any black people who live where she lives. There were a few other black tourists when we were there last year. Can I just say something ignorant? <laughs> okay. I mean, just, aren't there better places to live? You know what I mean? Like, it's such a big planet. And I'm always like, I, why do you pick, like, the hardest places, like, rocky and icy, and you're, like, trying to catch fish and take lichen off of the backs of rocks to eat? Like, I don't know. It just feels like a lot. You're too urban. I am People too People love that. People love that. They love the effort of it. They love the effort and the striving of like making their daily way in the world. Purposeful living. Yeah. It feels like I'm getting my hands dirty. I'm doing, I'm living off the land sort of. I have a friend from Alaska and he would spend his entire summer on like a boat with his family and they'd get like fish and like cut the guts out and then like go from port to port selling it. That's what he did as soon as school was out until school started. Isn't there a better way? But I, like I said, all this is ignorant. I, I warned you before I said that. <laughs> oh, there it is. 
Come at me, America. Come at me. I'm just saying. Uh, Trisha, what are you doing this summer? I'm taking a couple trips. Shocker. I know. <laughs> Finally, Trisha. Finally, you're going to go see the world. I know. Mm. I'm not going anyplace new, though. I'm going, I'm like revisiting old places. I'm going to go see my cousins in London. I'm returning to Switzerland, but that's going to happen really early fall. Yeah. Just chilling, maybe seeing, maybe going back and forth to New York a few times. Gonna see mom. Yeah, you know, move around. Gotta keep it moving, you know, that's my life. Yeah, it is your life. <laughs> and what I mean, about not, you, Chris? Oh, I'm not sorry. chasing the Spice Girls or anything. I was gonna say, and what about you, Chris? You're on uh, the verge of leaving the country. I will be chasing the Spice Girls through the kingdom. I am seeing them on tour, so I'm going to UK. For two weeks, which will be fun because I never get to travel in the summer um, because that's usually when my business takes off is in the summer. And then when I come back, my business takes off and then I have a lot of trainings and lectures and public speaking things to do, which is going to be great. It's going to be great to be busy. And then I'm going to P-Town, Provincetown, Massachusetts for a week. They have like a gay family and it's like the best time to be there. And even though I don't have like a gay family of my own, it's like all the parents are my age. All the kids do stuff like whatever. And you just sit around and you drink all day and you're on the beach and you're having a fantastic time. So I'm really looking forward to that. Can I ask you about that? Yeah. P-Town. What's the racial makeup of P-Town? I always it's, feel like uh, that's like a, a gay gay sunshine for white people. Oh, it's whitey. Like, white, white. Like, oh, it's white? Okay. It's super white. I think um, for family week, you see some diversity just mm-hmm. because it's gay families. So there's a lot of kids of different hues running around because mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of adoption. But I, the community itself is all white, 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 white. And if you go on the off season, first of all, there's nobody there. Do you know if there's something that's analogous to P-Town for um, folks of color that are gay? Like a vacation spot? for Yeah, we're like black families or for black families color. or just a, black a gay, gay people. A gay inkwell. A gay only thing that comes to mind is you know you're aware of fire island yeah yeah here in new york fire island it's like you know if you're gay and white and in a certain social class you are definitely definitely have a share on fire uh-huh. this summer <laughs> and you're telling everyone about it and you can't wait to go and then also the fire island beach uh is covered with uh, white people and but there was some flack about there is a beach where a lot of gay people of color congregate. Robert Moses, mm-hmm. you know, many people noted how like the cops are always present, oh. they're always pestering people. You know, all the the same the usual shit. I guess this episode we're just like talking about many topics, and I just I know we talked about this before, but I want to revisit it because I think it's worse. So this is what I'd like get your opinion on. You know, it's Pride Month now, yeah, and. The thing that I've noticed, especially in New York, because it's the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Riots and World Pride is here uh, at the end of the month. So it's going to be, uh, in a word, like an absolute shit show in New York City. Like, it's, I'm not certain what's going to happen because people are flying in from all over the world. It's going to be a mess. Anyway, we had had this conversation about pinkwashing, Jason, when you were not on the, on the podcast. The thing is, is that like everywhere I go in New York, Every company has rainbow bullshit that they're trying to sell. And it bothers me this year so much more than any other year. 
this is not a solution, but it seems like this is the tactic that has been spreading. Does anyone else notice this or is it just me? No, it's not just you. I actually follow um, a gay filmmaker. He does, um, he did boy culture. Uh, We follow each other on Twitter. And he said, you know, he doesn't want to see anyone coming out for Pride Month with any like special colored bags or this or that or any kind of like riffraff. What I want to see is you say that you are supporting an LGBT like legal case or you are, you know what I mean? Like you're actually putting your money where your mouth is. You're not just using this as an opportunity to collect cash. There are clear places and clear signals that you can give in this present moment that you actually are standing up for LGBT people. It's not enough to just like put up like a, a pretty bag in the window with like pride on it. <laughs> like, and you should be able to, and you should be able to shame those people when you see it. I, well, I don't think he said that part, but I believe that part. If you see an ad in a, like in Macy's and Macy's has a ton of t-shirts and da, 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 da. And then you find out that one of those companies who's supporting somebody in the back end who's doing something politically dubious, like that shouldn't be allowed to float. Can I say, I certainly agree with the last thing you said, Tricia, but my question would be, if you have a company that is doing what you're saying in terms of creating certain products or advertising certain products in a way that signifies on, you know, Pride Month or whatever um, and makes money, like certainly I could see like if on the other, if, if they're underhandedly also undermining, you know, causes for, for LGBTQ community like that, obviously that's really problematic, but if they're not, if it's just the, you know, rainbow bag or whatever, like what's the downside of that? It doesn't feel. So on one level, it doesn't feel right. On the other level, it's a mad cash grab. When, if you really did, have the courage of your convictions to sell me rainbow bullshit, you could actually do something or company that would affect the lives of actual gay people. I I guess, I guess the, I mean, I hear that, I guess, and I'm, I don't, I don't have a strong position on this. I'm just, I'm honestly asking this question. Look, 20 years ago, I don't think you saw, it was not mainstream for businesses even 10 years ago to, you know, show support. And I hear what you're saying. It's superficial support. It's for commercial purposes. But isn't there some benefit to, for lack of a better term, the optics of a broad support for gay pride for Pride Month? I don't know. I guess they could be marching you off. They could be marching. Two options, selling me rainbow salad or marching me off to a camp. If you think about it, like if if you look at broad-based support, like for example, Domino's Pizza. We know they're fairly conservative. They should not have like a rainbow flag. They shouldn't do anything with that. They're, the antithesis of their, where their money is being spent on the back end is elsewhere. And it's not enough for that to look like broad-based support on the front. Because it's not real. No, that that makes sense. But again, like, I don't know enough. I don't if know anyone if else is doing it. Yeah, yeah if there's like a, a, a more left-leaning vendor that's doing it, and they may not be contributing to legal cases for whatever reason, but I, I guess I it still seems to me only upside for for that kind of advertising. Is advertising yeah. a shortcut for approval of lifestyles and people? I mean, should we celebrate the fact that they've got biracial kids in ads? Does that mean I mean, that ce- celebrate. Landscape? I'm not. I'm not. I mean, what I'm saying. I'm not necessarily saying celebrate, although we could have that conversation. But certainly not to be condemned, you know, to 
to complain that creation of these products and this type of advertising is superficial and for commercial purposes, it's kind of like, well, welcome to America, right? They like, how, why, like on during Christmas, like I wish toy companies weren't selling all these damn toys. Why aren't they? Don't, why don't they have pictures of Jesus around? I mean, that's a fair critique of America, yeah. but I don't know if it's a fair. I don't know if it's an accurate statement to say, well, that like it's problematic specifically on you know, this particular issue or set of issues or for this particular community. Maybe condemn and complain are too strong of, of a word for what I'm getting at. If you're doing it just for optics, if you're doing it just superficially, sure, like sell your product, but you should not be applauded if you're not actually doing anything. But, uh, that's fair. I totally and agree. And we talked about this last year, Trisha, around the same time. And if Avis wants to have a float in the parade, that's great. But Avis, what it, like if I'm a trans person and my license doesn't match the name I'm giving you, do I still get to rent a car? Like that that's that's an interesting, useful thing you can do for the LGBTQ community. Yeah. And like the fact that you're a float in the parade, I mean sure knock yourself out. You just have to pay to get into the parade. Like I get it, but like they should not be applauded for being there. I I, I just I would call on the whole community to to really examine who is displaying all these things. Another question I wanted to ask, this is a sort of a right turn, but I'm curious what you think about this. This year, all these companies are so quick to jump onto like the gay cause and like now it's rainbow everything. Like if I see one more rainbow shirt, sneaker, bandana, like everyone is selling everything. How come Black Lives Matter never caught up, caught on corporately like that? I mean, to be fair, there are, probably more black people who identify as black than there are gay who identify as gay in the entire country. Well, I mean, how would that even look? What would that even be like? What's that look like? I mean, what's the corporate, what's, I mean, I mean the assumption is the, the question you ask is what is, um, when people hear the phrase black lives matter, what, what resonates in people's minds when they hear that? And like, what is, what images call to mind? It's um, there. I mean, I think the public is, I think people have done a very good job. I don't want to say specifically anyone, but I think the news media and the way that some of the stories were covered has done a pretty good job of like relating Black Lives Matter to anti-police, anti-civility, anti-civil society. Do you know? So it's like, it's wrapped up in a lot of, um, messages that are not necessarily mainstream messaging whereas Um, i think the gay messaging is all has actually we talk about this we talk about the idea that like the we're just like uh, we're just like you message we ride cars we buy our houses we eat these kinds of cookies i mean what is your most radical gay group and are they having receptive (laughs) commercial success but also you say, like, you know, the Black Lives Matter message is wrapped up in, like, anti-police, anti-civility. But there are many people, the vice president included, who will say that there is an anti-family, anti-religion bent to LGBTQ rights groups. So that's a negative. That's not something that people want to cleave to. That was interesting. I, I, I was ready to say something, and then the last point you made, actually, I don't know. I don't know if what I was going to say is still going to resonate. It's a good point. Um, but I... It seems like what you just said certainly is true that there are people that see, you know, gay rights as undermining family. But I don't I don't I don't think at least anymore that is an overarching sentiment, even among folks who 
are, you know, who consider homosexuality to be sinful, et cetera. I don't, I don't, I feel like that argument has lost and been largely discredited. I, I mean, I, I think the concept of pride, like there's such a positive glow, unless you're a religious fundamentalist, there's such a positive glow, right? It's a celebration. There's all this partying. There's all this creativity. Black Lives Matter, even if, even if, um, you know, a company doesn't disagree with the agenda or the, um, you know, the ideas, like you always want your company to be associated in people's minds with something positive, right? And fun. And Black Lives Matter, again, even if you agree, it's like, what well, do I want my company to be associated on either side with like police being implicated or, you know, unarmed black people being killed? Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't, for whatever reason, this is reminding me of, I remember years ago, I was creating some kind of a promotional document for the school I founded in Baltimore. And we had this great partnership with a teen pregnancy um, prevention program. And I, and I had mentioned it. And I remember a PR guy said to me, you don't want that in there. And I was like, why? I think it's a great program. And he's like, look, you just don't want the name of your school in the same sentence with teen pregnancy because the way people's brains work, that's what they'll associate it with. And some people be like, oh, your school's for, you know, pregnant teens. Oh it was really annoying to me, but like, so frustrating. But, but, but we, we've talked about that, right? Like people associate certain things. It's very difficult to dissociate them. And like, do you want your company associated with the killing of unarmed black people? Or do you want to associate it with like a big parade and a big party and a big celebration? Well, actually, isn't that funny? Because didn't somebody say the very first parade was a protest? Well, it, it's not a parade. It's still called the March. Exactly. It's, but it's, it's not, but it's a parade. Yeah, well, now. Like, <laughs> I mean, I mean, so in in essence, what's happened is that actually, its appropriation has has um demonstrated that it's moved away from its original intent, and the lack of appropriation of Black Lives Matter means that it's actually still very much beholden to its initial to its initial mission. So, in some sense, you don't want the commercial impact. Because it means that the the message has actually like dissipated. Well, except because I, I call it a march. I mean, I called it a I call it a parade. Everyone calls it a parade. It's, it's a parade and I actually, a march. Yeah. yeah, actually, I saw people because of all that's been happening with um LGBT with trans people and the way that they the military has recently decided that they can't serve and all the kinds of things, all the bad things that are happening. People are like, why don't we go back to the original intent of this thing? why do we continue to embrace this idea of it as a parade as opposed to its original intent as a protest, Mm -hmm. as a sort of strong protest, you know, like recognition of our lives in that way. I bet you darn sure companies won't be running around going, can we get a little bit of that action? (laughs) Probably not. But I think it again raises the question. I mean, I don't know. This is like raising questions in my mind of, like what's most effective? I mean, superficial support. Well, no, I, I'm, that's not what I meant, though. I mean, Pride Month as like super fun, everybody come party. One could argue that's been effective at making you know Pride much more acceptable to a larger population, and now there's a lot more support for things like gay marriage. I, I don't know. It's just it's. I mean, sure. I don't know which direction to take what you're saying, but the the effect that you're describing. Is it is what Trisha is saying is that all the 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 parades and the rainbows and the dancing and Madonna showing up at Pride Island has defanged what this whole thing is really about. That all exists in a world where the president can tweet like 
let's appreciate LGBTQ Americans, but then stop trans people from serving, yeah. you know, cut their health care. Like, that's what happens when you sort of like party on one hand and be like, okay, well, let's do all this other stuff on the other. I mean, I think coming around to my own question, I think Black Lives Matter still has the gravitas of an actual movement, whereas these gay mofos just want to dance. And maybe that's not entirely fair, because I know there's people working really hard around the clock, around the world. But For sure. you know, I, and this comes up every year in June. Like sometimes I go to the parade and we go, and about two hours in, like we after like two hours, we look at each other and we're like, I mean, this is one long commercial. And I don't know if I need to be here. Like I don't feel particularly proud that Chipotle is in this parade. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh great, they're there goes the Nordstrom's boat. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to feel about that. <laughs> well, <laughs> you have been done in by success, a certain type of success. Oh, but, but a very particular kind of success. Like, it's like, isn't it fun? You're all mainstream now. And it's like, I don't, I didn't sign up. Not that I signed up to be gay, but like, um, what do those signups look like? No, but like, I just didn't know this was about being normal and holding in with everybody. Well, but but I still would pose the question. I don't know the answer policy changes that have occurred, positive ones, I mean. And, you know, there have been instances, like I think about North Carolina, where, you know, certain issues come up and there are times when the corporate community rallies in a positive way. And I wonder whether, you know, if they identify that they have a revenue stream that is dependent on a certain community and then that community is threatened and then they, you know, they they boycott or whatever, they're going to pull out of a state, I don't know how much you can attribute policy changes or those kinds of actions to the kinds of changes we're talking about, but I don't know. I, I don't think it would be outlandish to make the argument that because of the commercialization, there are now commercial interests that are there to support when support is needed. But they don't really though. I mean, I think, I think I don't even, I wouldn't even make that claim. I mean, cause we're still existing in a policy environment that's pretty toxic. I mean, it's better than it was, but um, I don't think it. I don't think it's. I don't think it's related or directly even related to the money that's being made. I actually, in fact, think the money's drained out of the community in some ways, and and done damage. But I mean, I think it's superficial. You know, I I I don't know. It's like a cosmetic like, you know. But if you come and you look at where people really live and what people are really struggling with, I don't think you see that transformation. Uh, um, and so I always feel like these parades or these things are a little bit respectability politics. Like, what do people respect you for and what are they loving you for? Is it because they think that you're just a version of them? In which case, the moment you step outside of that, which we see. you got to do the whole thing over again. You get punished. Yeah. You know, you, like, you, oh, you're other again. You're yeah. other. Well, that's definitely they, never embraced, they never embraced you. Yeah. They just embraced a version of you that was like really sad. A version of them. They embrace yeah. a version of themselves. And the moment yeah. that you're like, oh, I want to be able to, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And then you're, you're a ground. You're I mean, that's away. like, that's like the, that's like the selling point of Mayor Pete. I think his campaign is very much respectability politics. You know, this is us. This is us being safe. We're just like you. I'm a Christian, just like you. Um, God made me this way, which is very true. And it's, it's, I don't know, it's just a very sanitized to me. But I get it because that's what you have to do. You have to make yourself really harmless 
mm-hmm. and um, as safe and as vanilla as possible. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, it feels, I don't know, it feels like some weird caricature. And it's not to say that I don't take him seriously. I, obviously, I really do. I think it's a huge deal that a gay person is running for office and they're Absolutely. actually out and people know they're out and he has a husband and all of those things. But there are elements of it that makes me wince sometimes when I hear the language that's used around it. Cause it's very respectable politics. Like I can't wait till we come back in the fall and discuss the whole mayor Pete thing. I haven't wanted to talk about it yet because I wanted to get more valence. Anyway. What, the conversation of all the candidates. I have all the candidates. I just need to pare down a little bit. It seems to be paring down. I mean, the numbers are in. But I, I need more people to drop out because I yeah. still think there can be some surprises. Yeah. And I, I can't I don't wanna I don't wanna like quarterback what those surprises are going to be. I just want it to happen. So I think by the time October rolls around, we're gonna have some I quite I, I, I think we're in for a lot of fun surprise. I think Oh, I think, I think so I, too, actually. I think who we thought we were gonna do well is not doing so well. I'm let's leave it there. Take that <laughs> take that cliffhanger to the bank, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> But I, I think I know what you're talking about, Trisha. But uh, yeah, I think there's going to be some pretty interesting surprise. I mean, time uh, has revealed that, right? Time yeah. has changed mm-hmm. us. Right, it's going to be fun. Did we talk about Mueller? Do you have anything to say about it? You know, there was an interesting, there's an interesting thing for me about Mueller. And I'm so curious about what you all think about him. There's a part of me that's like, is this person not ready for showtime? Are these people Mueller, Comey, and this like weird whole like throwback gentlemanly kind of thing? Are they not ready to actually deal with the present moment and the challenge that's in front of them? I don't know. When I saw Mueller, I was like, you're not ready for showtime. Like, you don't seem to understand the gravity of this moment, similar to Comey. I was like, wait, I'm confused. These are people who fundamentally are supposed to understand the world. They've been part of the FBI. They must have seen all the dark sides of everything. Why do they seem ill-equipped to handle the kind of attack that people or others believe is being raged against their own government? What does the moment require? I don't know, but I'm surprised it doesn't seem like they know. (laughs) Jason, what do you think? What do you think the moment requires? I think the moment requires Congress to impeach Trump. I've thought that for a long time. Even before. No, I, I guess, yes. I mean, but I'm thinking of Mueller. Like, what does the moment require of Mueller and people like him who are investigating the president? I think your question's interesting, Trisha, but uh, you're making an assumption in there, and I, I want to explode it. What does the moment require? Well, that, that's the thing. I mean, I, I mean, I want to pose that back to Trisha because, I mean, first of all, I, I see Comey and Mueller as very, very different from each other. Just talking about Mueller for a second, since that's what you—that's the first thing you raised. He has said exactly what the appropriate thing would be to say. Like, he doesn't have evidence that a crime was committed. He's—he was very explicit that they don't have evidence that it wasn't committed. I feel like for him to do his job and not step out of his lane and not violate uh department of justice policy, however problematic it may be. He did. I think he kind of did as much as he could be asked to do. Like, I think he handed the ball pretty explicitly to Congress gave them a lot. I mean, you know, I don't, you saw that letter that like 200 former prosecutors on both sides of the aisle signed that said there, uh, if this person wasn't the president, there would absolutely be enough mm-hmm. to prosecute. 
I think he set that up. Like, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't ask anything more of him. I think the ball's in Congress's court. But, but Trisha, I'm curious. Like, what did you want to hear from him that, that would have met your expectations? Well, I think what I'm realizing is that these people love the system that exists. They believe in the system that exists. And because they live and breathe the system and actually don't really believe there's anything, there's any flaw in it, they actually can't deal with the system when it's breaking. The system is breaking and it has broken. But because they are still enamored, the system maybe they have a vision of in their minds. To my mind, they strike me as bereft yeah i think that's totally fair and look people in congress both sides of the aisle they've gotten rich from the system almost all of the ones who've been in in office for a long time they have a lot of power in the system and i think you're right like they're afraid to undermine the system and you're i totally agree it's breaking i mean i like if even putting aside the impeachment if trump gets away with not handing over all of these things if freaking mnuchin gets away with not handing over the tax return when the law is so incredibly clear congress has lost all ability regardless of party congress as an institution has lost the ability to provide any oversight to the executive branch which which is i totally agree is a complete breakdown of our system of government i mean i agree with what you said i just don't put that on Mueller. like i think that i put it fully on congress well but i put it on men like yes i put it on men like Mueller. but i do believe that the, Miller and the rest of them are born of a system and they have complete faith that this system will work. So even as it's falling down around them, they they do not know what the moment requires. The moment requires more and different from you this time. But they're still operating as it's business as usual, as we're talking as if we're talking about cigars and blowjobs. And we're not anymore, you know? And I think that they don't have the capacity to see to really go in there and attack and cut out the problem. That's, there's so much pussyfooting around. The Mueller report was so much pussyfooting around. His, his um, address was more pussyfooting around. It's incredible how many words there are to say, not that much. <laughs> um, it's <laughs> incredible. Um, and to your point, Jason, yeah, it's completely on Congress. And now the ball is fully in Congress's court to see if this is a country that operates by laws or not. And uh, hear me, that's what's on the line right now, right? If this president doesn't get impeached, well, I mean, congratulations. It's the end of America. And I know that's dramatic, but the precedent is going to be set, that the president can act in any which way they can, right? And the fight for that executive office is going to be bloody, literally, because it's moving towards a totalitarian sort of position. Well, and we don't have time for this conversation, and I'm not I'm, I'm not well informed enough to probably have it. But I, you know, the the system is breaking. I do think there is evidence that for a long, long time, Congress has been gradually ceding its authority to the executive branch, and Trump has just taken full advantage of that. Congress, people in Congress, just becoming mouthpieces more than policymakers. And not wanting to take difficult votes and therefore allowing presidents on both sides of the aisle for a long time to to start wars and, and wage wars without them weighing in. And that's just one example of many. I don't know. It's a deep fundamental problem 
I don't know where it goes from here. It's very scary. And when I said they're not ready for the moment, I think what I realized is that they were never visionaries anyway. Oh, no, no, of course not. Right? You know, I mean, they're company men in the most, in the most classic sense. Them attacking the system, they would... It, it's impossible. They it's can't. It's, 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 from, from it's attacking yourself. Because yeah. even, even Comey, even if you think about Comey, which I, I put them in the same category, not necessarily as... I think, I think of them as a typology, as yeah. a typology Fair. of American manhood yes. that maybe has outlasted its usefulness. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's kind of like if you think about, I mean, if you think about the trajectory of kind of American history, they were probably best suited for a different time. Maybe when things were happening underneath the surface, less obvious. And so <laughs> it's strange because actually now when I look at these guys, what I'm looking for is like, I'm like, who is this new American male that can handle this moment? And I think that's that that's one of the reasons why, Chris, I said we're in for a surprise, because I don't think there is an American male that can handle this moment. I, think I don't think so. This requires Trump was an iconoclast. Yep. And we need another iconoclast. Right. Because there's a lot of people with a different narrative with a different narrative. And we can bemoan that that's, we just can't keep slamming back and forth. We can bemoan that that's a failure of the system in and of itself. But the fact is, is that that is what the moment requires. It requires people to look the system in the face, be like, this isn't working. Not only is this president problematic, but the the way that he got here was problematic, pinning those things and looking at them. None of these people have the capacity to say that. You know, so it will be interesting what happens next, because in in attempting to resolve and save this system, they're going to end up frog marching themselves to somewhere where they don't want to be. And it's going to be the end of them anyway. Exactly. So I agree with that. But I I do want to go back to this question. What did you two, what do you think Mueller should have said? I don't know if there's nothing he should have. There's nothing nothing he could have done. Yeah, nothing he could have said. I mean, first of all, um... Handing in your resignation is also, whew. there's a move that says I'm going out to pastor because it's hard, but yeah. no, it's just, I think one of the things that I, re- that I'm reminded about American history is that change has always come from the outside and it's been an aggressive push by the disenfranchised to force America to live up to its own ideals. And so company men have never made America live up to its ideals. They've actually been subsumed in it. And so I never expected anything of Mueller. What I thought was interesting about him, though, was that others expected some sort of saving from him. And I was curious as to how he would try to deliver, because I think that's a part of that persona as well as the attempt to save. So I was curious in I was curious in how he would determine that this would be something to to save. And by pushing it back to Congress, I thought, well, that's hilarious because they haven't been capable of saving us for a while. And so to then actually say, I've done all the labor, here goes. I was like, oh wow, you're really confounded. The America has always moved into the future, kicking and screaming. Always. Always and kicking and screaming. No different. It has to be forced to do right and do well. You know, here is uh, here's something that you all need to know about me. Like on my phone to-do list, the thing that comes up every time I open it up is just a note to myself that says, no one is coming to save you. Yep. Which sounds really dark and depressing. But what it reminds me is that I'm the one who has to get myself out of the messes that I'm Yeah. 
I think America, since the election, has been looking to Hillary, has been looking to the elector, the electors in the Electoral College, to, they're looking to Congress, looking to everyone, Supreme Court, to save us from what is happening. And like, like you said, Trisha, America is always being dragged, kicking and screaming, and that's how we're going to get to the future. It's going to be the people. It's going to be people deciding that this is bullshit. <laughs> and I don't know if it's going to be, you know, a la the French Revolution, but we've got to find some way that doesn't involve like people like Mueller saving us. Everyone's like, oh, I can't wait till the report is released. And I was like, so. It was so, and it was so pencil dot. Cross eyes, peas, all of it. Yeah, Perfect. and they they did it because it was it, it was procedural and they had to do it. But if there was a smoking gun, then you would you wouldn't have taken months and months and months to prepare it. Yeah. So you know we need to stop waiting for someone to come along and save us from Trump. Like Americans need to go down to their goddamn representatives' office, storm Senate, the Senate, and be like, "This is bullshit." No, I think because they'll I, never do it. They'll never do it on their own. No, I think it's a great point. I mean, what you're making me think of is all the energy that people are putting into the presidential election so early, which is in some ways very much like who's going to save us. I mean, it is Congress that needs to act. And that probably is where we should be spending our energy is forcing Congress to act because we could get a great president or a bad president or Trump again the next time. As long as this, again, this like erosion of congressional oversight has happened and continues to happen, you're always going to be in danger of this kind of thing unless we force Congress to actually be responsive to what, what needs to happen to run the country, which is what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually galvanizing, to be honest, is to, be, is to sort of be, be thoughtful and creative about how we're going to support each other, how we're going to look out for each other how we're going to um, provide home and care. I mean, it's, I, I, I think about like, the, you know, it's on, we're talking about pride, but I think about the AIDS crisis. Like there was no government there and that community survived in spite of, right? That's well, but they also of. forced the government to respond. It took a while. Later, but, but, again, but kicking and screaming, kicking and right? screaming kicking you know, and but, screaming. But, but the reason why they even did that was because they took the care and comfort of each other. And then that galvanize and enrage people to then ask and demand more. So I think part of it is like a first, a, a sort of a tremendous love for each other and a care for how we are going to be in the space. And then turning our attention to, to sort of demanding that the rest of us be taken care of. <laughs> um, and, you know, yeah, I mean, and no looking for a savior. Because I think what this this I have to say this this period has just shown not going to happen. No one's coming happen. to save you, America. No one is coming to save you. It's up. It's up to you. Like strong, no strong. Or if there is, there's the strong man, and you're going to trade something for it. Yeah. Just to wrap this up, I went to this magic show once with kids, and the magician on stage said, "Like, uh, I need an assistant, and it's I can see the person right now." You know, it's the person, they're, they're very confident and, you know, they're, they're, I can see them coming to the stage and who I need my assistant now. And then all the kids just sit there and really he's just waiting for someone to get up and stand on the stage. Right. Yeah. It, it could be anybody. It could be right. anybody. He's not thinking of anyone in particular. It's just whoever right. has the balls to get up and do it. And then the act goes on. And I love that. I just, and, and that feels related to what we were just talking about. Um, now we're going to move on to Avengers Endgame, the final okay. conversation. 
uh, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. There was a buffalo online because, as you know, in the plot of Avengers Endgame, it happens five years later, and Thor uh, has a giant gut. And there is a whole community online that feels like the movie was engaging in fat shaming and that that was played for laughs and it was problematic and meant that they should edit it out or remove it from the movie. I was just curious, in light of what we talked about Game of Thrones last time, I was curious, uh, we all saw the movie. Did you experience like that? Was there something problematic with that portrayal, do you think? Now, fat shaming, that is making fun of someone's so they feel bad about being fat. I didn't, I, I didn't receive it that way. There was actually a ton of compassion for him, a ton of compassion, a ton of affection, a general confusion. Maybe I didn't get a sense of shaming at all. I didn't find the comic relief based on his fatness because he was still competent. Do you know what I mean? It's not like he tried to do something and it didn't happen. Because he like over his gut or something. Yeah. Like it actually, like it, it was never played in that way. Um, it was more like, oh, this person has been released from the onus of being fit. But he was still very competent. So I didn't receive it that way. I definitely didn't see it that way. I mean, I think it's funny because we're used to seeing him in all these movies with this like ridiculously sculpted body. Um, and by the way, the, the, it was similar joking in um, Spider-Verse where one of the Peter Parkers had a gut. And again, like, I don't know. I there's plenty of stuff to be offended about. I did not find that offensive. I mean, I think it's important if someone was previously fit and they're no longer fit. I think that's psychologically valuable and important information because their fitness was something that was a part of their identity. And so if they're no longer fit, it's not problematized because you hate fat. It's problematized because this is something that the person valued previously right. and no longer values. So you have to ask yourself why and what is this about and what is food doing for you now and all of those kinds of things. Um, I'm not objectively upset with somebody who is fat, period. That's different. I think we all have to talk about people's interactions with their bodies and what that means when it changes, whether they get super skinny or whether they get super fat. Like, what's going on here for you? <laughs> is this another case of like a small cell of people on the internet who are really upset about something? Or is this you focusing now on, you know, a lot of the work in um, diversity, equity, inclusion? is about focusing on the impact and not the intent. So if the intent wasn't make, to make fun of Thor, although people who are heavier, the impact on them was that they felt targeted in the theater. Like, how do, we how do you balance that with our messaging around certain topics? Or do we try, you know, because I want to be sensitive, but there are moments where I feel like you can't possibly be sensitive enough i don't know if you can't be sensitive enough as an out i think what you will accept is that you will not be sensitive enough and oh. if someone reveals to you that something has then shook them then you be receptive to it but say not my intention sorry you received it that way i mean i don't necessarily think it was it needed to be a storyline I mean, I think I mean, you, it, was a, it was a gag. Like when they went to see him in New Asgard, that whole scene, which was like yeah. the only thing they really played with it at all, right? Yeah. When he was in the fat suit and whatnot. And they're all reacting with like horror yeah. and disgust. Uh, that's the scene I think that upset people. But and I mean, that, it's so weird to me because I mean, I get like the fatness is not what's disgusting, it's the person who has become fat that is disgusting. 
which suggests that your behavior has changed and something is wrong with you. However, maybe some people were reacting to the fatness as a repulsive thing. But for me, it's in contrast to who he was. I mean, that's how I read it. But, but I'm, I'm yeah. not a big person. But it's fair. Yeah. yeah. And then again, it's like sometimes I struggle with impact versus intent. And it's like, I'm with Trisha in that I think we can be compassionate towards those people who were offended, but we can recognize it was a very small portion. It wasn't intended, and we don't think the movie should change just because of that. We invite them to not watch it again, and they're entitled to their feelings. And I mean, I'm I'm curious. I mean, I would be interested to hear someone articulate what the pain of that was. I look like Thor now. And I'm upset that you were upset that I look like a Thor now and making a judgment call about me. But that's specific to you. If you look like Thor now and you're fine with looking like Thor now, that's okay. But we look at Thor and we know that Thor's fitness is part of his identity. Mm -hmm. He's no longer fit. So we have cause to be worried about him because that means that he is fallen down a dissolute route road right (laughs) in the first transformers movie many years ago uh there's a scene early in the movie with anthony anderson yeah this was pre-blackish um when i just thought he was such a clown i was not a fan of anthony anderson but in one scene i can't remember what was happening because that movie was like a fever dream uh he's in the house and like the police break in and Anthony Anderson, like, is running, screaming, like, hands over his head, like, running into the backyard, like, falling into the pool. And because he's, like, fat, black, and loud, it's played for laughs. Uh, I was sitting in the theater, and I did not think it was funny at all. Like, sure. for the entire audience to be laughing at this black man running, screaming from the police yep. who were armed and coming for him. Like, that was the impact I had. Yeah. Now, if it's like Jason said, if someone just apologized for me being offended and that's not what they intended and then hope we can all move on, that would feel unsatisfying to me. Well, yeah, because I think what they were doing was they were using a trope, right? They were using a right. trope for that characterization. Um, do people feel like they were using a trope for um for I think this they did. I think I think that's I think the argument is that like, oh, big fat guy, that's funny, that's a sight gag. Like yeah. rolls of fat or a sight gag. Yes. Right. And I just disagree, though. I mean, I think th- this was what's funny is that you have a Norse god who was previously a savior who has completely given up on playing that role and is now, I mean, you could see alcoholics being offended too, right? I mean, he was drinking and that, but it was all part of it, right? It was giving a message that, like, Thor, the great god, um, has given up on you know on life um i just i don't think that is the same i don't think it was about a fat trope i think it was a, just as trisha said a trajectory of the character so i i think yeah i could see how that would not be satisfying to you chris in the transformers example i think it's a very different situation the difference for me too is that anthony anderson exists didn't exist outside of that character so there's Ever. no humanity to him. And I think that's really, I think that's the context of those spaces. That's my problem with tropes is tropes are usually trafficking in um, in a space where there's no humanity given to the person. But because we had history with the trope, with the, um, with the with Thor, Thor yeah, you're allowed to see this as a transformation that's not good news for him. But if it was a random fat person. Yeah, well said. For his 
that's different, you know, because that's really the context. You are random fat guy. You are random screaming black woman. You you know what I mean? That's really what it comes down to. That's a mind. great point. I think it's <laughs> very that's well a very fantastic point. To your point, though, I felt that example that you gave. I, I didn't see it, but I felt it as you said it. And so if someone received it that way, that's painful. You know, if, yeah. a, if a watcher received it that way, that is super painful, though. I would not wish that on them. Are these petitions to redo things? Are we gonna are we gonna keep doing petitions? We can't do them anymore. No, but I'm just saying let we can't re, we can't read. No, I said everything I need to say about that last episode. Like, no, no, people, no. It, you've got to move on. You know what I mean? <laughs> people like you got to move on. This again, this reminds me of another sitcom moment when you know uh, Kramer decides he's gonna take a piece of fruit back to the supermarket, and Jerry's like. I think when you buy fruit, you're taking your chances. Exactly. Um, you can't return it. <laughs> That's a very good point. You bought it all, and like you just have to deal with the consequences. Yeah. If you don't like it, you don't like it. You throw it away, you don't eat it again. Let me tell you something. Return everything, because I am shocked at what people will take back. Do you know yeah, Nordstrom has a policy Well, they'll take clothes that you're returning, even if Nordstrom doesn't sell it? <laughs> I didn't know that. They did a, a they did an analysis that it's just it's just better goodwill. LL Bean does that too. Right? Well, LL Bean, you can use a backpack for fifty years and then be torn to shreds and then return it. I don't believe that. I don't believe you should do that. I agree. Look it up on YouTube. Someone tried it. Someone tried it and they took it back. Yeah, and they filmed the whole thing. I mean, I like it. I mean, whatever. <laughs> okay. Let's move into media recommendations, which is something that you've seen, heard, read, or experienced. You think other people should see, hear, read, or experience. It's our season finale, so um, it's got to be good. What should people be checking out this summer, Jason? So I'm going to give a couple real quick. You talked about magic, and it reminded me I just saw The Prestige for the first time. Oh, wow. I really like that movie. You watch movies like a full decade later. I do, but that was good. I want to do an anti-recommendation, which on the flip side is the fifth element I just saw for the first time. I disliked it so much. And then the <laughs> last thing, though, is that I've recently re-engaged. You two are going to think I'm very corny for saying this, but I re-engaged with Oprah's Super Soul Conversations podcast. Oh. And I just love it. It makes me feel good about the world. That's why she did it. Yeah, it yeah. worked. So to be clear, your recommendation was... Super the soul. Prestige and Super Soul Conversations, Oprah. Gross. And your anti-animation <laughs> for some reason was The Fifth Element, which was such a fun ride. But Oh, before. God. Oh. Trisha? My sister and I turned on Netflix and have been watching The Good Girls. It's a show on NBC. And it's basically... <laughs> it's about these three women who are down on their luck. Two of them are married. One is a single mom. They're down on their luck and they don't have any money and they decide to rob a supermarket. <laughs> 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 they decide to rob a supermarket. They rob a supermarket. In the back is a ton of money, but it turns out the money belongs to somebody else. Because why would a supermarket have all that money? Their life just keeps getting more and more complicated as they try to like disentangle themselves from the original crime. <laughs> like it just keeps getting more and more complicated. What's fun about it is it's two white women 
and a black woman. And this black woman is not someone who would ever previously have occupied this role. I must say she is dark. She is very big and she's beautiful, but that is not a leading role that would have ever gone to a woman that looked like that. So that's also just kind of like a fun surprise that she's in this role. I'm all, every time I see her, I'm like, she's doing such a great job, but I'm like, wow, I am like amazed that they gave her this part, but it's just a fun ride. We just keep watching it. And we're like, every time they make a decision, we're so upset when we realize they're actually not criminals. So of course they're making, (laughs) they're making poor choices as they engage in criminal activities. (laughs) So they're like, can we give this money back? Then they figure out the money is fake. And then they're trying to figure out what to get. (laughs) And then the spoilers. No, but it's like, it's just that in the first episode, it, it gets revealed that and so it's just it's like a comedic it's a, i think it's meant to be funny so it's a fun ride but underlying the story though is really this idea of these three women's friendships and how they are trying to keep afloat and how in some sense a life of crime connects them to each other and gives them a a jolt that i don't think they all fully kind of key into yet <laughs> that they're actually enjoying the criming <laughs> So it's a, it's all actually surprisingly a lot of fun. Um, so I would recommend it for the summer. A totally fun summer watch. The, you can get caught up in the first two seasons and it's a wild ride. Good girls for the summer. I don't have a recommendation. So there it is. Uh, How dare you? I know. But a couple episodes ago, I recommended Nostalgia. We what did you recommend? And nostalgia, just go back to things that you liked in the past. With you. And the other you, day, you are, see, we have reversed roles. My I goodness, know. I've got <laughs> no. three things to say. You I are know. re-endorsing nostalgia. Call it on it. The other day, we uh, watched Kinky Boots, the film, the film that the stage show is based on, and I had such a thrill watching it. Not necessarily because it, Kinky Boots, but but. I just, sorry to say this, but I really liked Miramax films over a period of time. Yeah. And I know we're not supposed to say that anymore. <laughs> it was really good. But there was a period of time that, like, back in the 90s where they were churning out a lot of great movies. And Kiki Boots was one of them. Um, great. I mean, Trisha, do you remember how many Miramax movies we've watched? Listen, that was what we would wait for. We would wait for the Miramax film and run out to the theater and see it because it it was always going to be the best acting, the best writing, you know, something interesting. Yeah. At the time, and I don't know if it still holds up with, because just because there's been 20 years of movie making since then, but at the time, Miramax films like really took a chance on some like oddball stories um, and they would stick like, not necessarily A-list actors in these roles. like to, And it was, they made a lot of great stuff. So yeah, I'm going to recommend going back and watching old movies that you liked. So there it is. That's lame sorry. though. Sorry, sorry. And that's how I go out. Like that's that, that's, like, that's like a lame way to go. I, I will <laughs> accept no more criticism of my <laughs> challenges with this segment of our podcast. I, you know what I have to say, Jason? I have to say. Since you've come back to the podcast, your recommendations have been on point. Thank you. You have well deserved us no longer making fun of you for recommending your kid's dentist. (laughs) If you didn't hear it, scroll back down to season one and the horrors that are Jason's recommendations. (laughs) The absolute horrors. 
Also, like water for chocolate. Watch that again. <laughs> but you know what, though, you you know how you were asking has um has things changed, mm-hmm. and um it I don't think so. I actually think the market is still waiting for a return to that. We don't make those types of movies and the price range. That used to be a very specific kind of thing, like art house movies. We don't have art house movies the way that we know we used to. Well, arguably, Netflix is doing that. Well, also the problem is that because of things like Netflix and the volume, is that it's hard to get the message out about those films. Yes, you know, that's right. Certainly, I walk around New York City. There's certainly little small art house films happening. I'm just never hearing about them. All right, you two, we have reached the end of the road. The end of season three. Yay! And so not five. Season four. What are we gonna do in season four? Well, I guess more talking because that's all we do. (laughs) Not that hard to figure out. Oh, I guess there'll just be more chatting. I can't wait for the fall. Also, if you're listening to this, feel free to suggest stuff for us to talk about. Uh, I'd be happy to hear from people uh, about what you think we should be talking about. Sometimes we do hear from people, and sometimes your uh, ideas are bad. But don't let that stop you from <laughs> continuing to let us know. Hopefully, someone will come up with a good idea that we can actually tackle. Oh, I wonder why we don't have a bigger listenership after that comment. <laughs> sometimes your ideas are bad. Sometimes they are. People do stop me and be like, hey, you guys should talk about, uh, you know, uh, straws. How you don't get straws at a restaurant. <laughs> like like, I, it sounds like you just talked about it. Like, that's. Uh, I'm gonna get in trouble for that, by the way. I'm sure you it's are. Right. <laughs> you deserve it. I hope you do. There's a listener who's right now like, All right, I love you both. What a fantastic time to be in. Uh, and to everyone else, bye. 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 And that's it. <laughs>